0: Amen. So sermon text this evening comes from Psalm chapter one, Psalm chapter one, (laughs) blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, Nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this, your word, this Lord's Day. I thank you for a number of things. I thank you this evening for a a whole day to set aside that we may meditate on your law. I pray this word from the psalmist will be useful to us. I pray that it will stir us to love and good works. And I pray for any who may hear, who is not yet a Christian, that you may, even through this word, convict them of their sin, draw them to the one man who lived this psalm out, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So everyone wonders how they might become happy. How can you become blessed? How can you become happy? How can you become prosperous? These are the sorts of questions that are fundamental to all of us. And this psalm is a clear Answer. A psalmist sets this up in such a way that we sing that being happy, that being blessed, it's a choice. I don't mean to say that we can always choose to feel happy. I don't mean to say that we can choose to always smile. Rather, the choice is about the path of the happy, the path of the blessing. The way of blessedness or happiness is a choice and we can choose to follow it or we can choose to not follow it. We can choose the path of misery and ruin or the path of happiness. It is cut and dry. It is black and white. It may sound like I'm oversimplifying but this is plain. The design of this psalm is so and this is a wisdom psalm And the poet has constructed this psalm this way on purpose that we may categorize things simply. It's good for us to read narratives. In narratives, we see the great areas of life. We see the messiness. We see that heroes, heroes sometimes backslide. We see that people's motives are often mixed. We see the world we live in is fallen, and conclusions are not always. Black and white. But the Psalm is not a narrative. It is didactic. It is instructive. It is black and white, and we need this genre too, don't we? It's good for us to hear. This is right. This is wrong. It's good for us to hear. This is the way of God, or this is the way of Satan. Christ in the Sermon on the Mount speaks this way. He says there are two roads. One road is narrow leads to paradise. And then there's the broad road the way to destruction. Proverbs also commands us to choose the better of two paths. There is a path of wisdom and the path of the fool. And it's worth remarking that it's early on in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 becomes clear right away. Proverbs 1 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And early on for the rest of Proverbs, the table is set for the reader of Proverbs. And Jesus' teaching comes early on in his ministry. It's his first major teaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Early on, the table is set. This is the way of the godly. This is the way of the ungodly. In a similar way, this psalm, Psalm 1, is primary. It goes first that we may better grasp the rest of the book of the psalms. There are indeed two roads. Changing gears for a minute. There's another purpose, I think, to this psalm. Sets us up to see who is the ideal human. This one scholar, this is William Van Gemmeren, says the placement of Psalm 1 is significant in that it sets forth God's ideal person. So this is setting us up for the rest of the book. Nonetheless, there's a lesson for all of us here today, the truths contained within this psalm are still useful. It shows us the sort of behavior, the sort of man that God blesses, and it lays out principles that are generally true. This is also like Proverbs. That said, though there's general truths here, sometimes the wicked grow into a big tree, just like the blessed man. Psalm 37-35 And 36 says that the wicked grow like the cedars of Lebanon. That's what Calvin paraphrases it as. Here's the New King James. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. So the wicked, they grow like a big, great green tree. Next verse. Yet, he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I saw him, but he could not be found. So the point is this. Sometimes the ungodly may grow up like a big tree. They may look like the blessed man, but they are not. They will soon come to destruction. We will read about a man who is blessed, who also appears to be a tree, but his end is very different. And we're going to focus on that blessed man. Though this psalm talks about a blessed man and it talks about an ungodly man, our focus this evening will be on the blessed man. So I have this in three main points tonight, three simple main points, all beginning with the blessed man. Let that be our focus. First is this the blessed man does not delight in sin. The blessed man does not delight in sin. The blessed man is marked first by what he does not do. He does not dwell among those who rebel against God. God blesses the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands not in the path of the sinners, sits not in the seat of the scornful, and there is a progression of possible sin in view here. One may be enticed to walk. This is casual a casual acquaintance with a group of sinners. Then there is the one who slows down and he stands among the sinners. He takes in their counsel a little more deeply. And then there's one, lastly, who becomes a part of their company. So much so that he sits with them. He takes a seat at their table. This implies further camaraderie, further intimacy with the group and with sin itself. And if you think about it, almost always, people do not begin sinning the worst of sins. Like someone who learns to swim, they do not just jump into the deep end. No one learning to swim goes to the high dive and just jumps. There is a progression, typically, almost always, in rebellion. Over time, sinners sink into the dirt further, further further and further until they're fixed, until they're hardened and in place. That's what it means to sit in the seat of the scornful. So be careful that you do not begin by walking among sinners. After a while, you may stand, you may mingle among them. Perhaps over time, you become comfortable among the rebellious group and you actually become part of their inner ungodly counsel. That council of sinners then turns, and it calls people to join them. Sinners want company. Misery wants company. And again, this message, it's a message of wisdom. It's much like what we see in the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 10. My son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shield and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one curse. My son, do not walk. There it is again. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. So sinners will call for you. They will entice you to sin. Sometimes the enticement will not be obvious. Entice sort of has a negative connotation. Enticement is something you know it when you see it. But sometimes the call to sin, it looks more like an invitation, doesn't it? Invitation is a more positive connotation. Someone might invite you, come sit with us. It seems good. It seems like this guy's nice. So in this first verse, there's a great warning here. Do not fall in with the ungodly. Don't take their counsel. Don't stand or sit among them. They will think you're odd. They'll think you're strange for not sinning. That's what 1 Peter tells us. But blessed is the man who walks not in their counsel. Secondly, the blessed man delights in God's law. God's law. Sometimes in Scripture can refer just to his moral commands, the Ten Commandments, for example. But here, I think the idea is broader than that. We can see it as God's revelation, God's precepts, God's principles, God's rule. Or even more broadly, we could say... The blessed man delights him in God himself. So that's the message we see here. It's the message we see elsewhere in the Psalms and the Scriptures. Consider Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight is an action. It can be a noun, but here it's an action to take pleasure in, enjoy, revel in rejoice in boast in so to delight in god's law is to take pleasure in all that god is it's to appreciate him for his truth his goodness his beauty his laws are to be praised again we see this in the Psalms, psalm 19 the law of the lord is perfect converting the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. All these things are good, wonderful. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, much fine gold. So, these things are all good and it's natural, it's right to revel in them, to delight in them, to enjoy them. Any of you has a gold bar laying around? You ever pull it out? Even a wedding ring, something that's precious to you, you just look at it. It's precious to you. It would be odd to have such a possession and not enjoy it, to not revel in its beauty in a similar way. Any who have Christ, how unnatural would it be for them to, yeah, he's okay. No one acts like that. A Christian is going to delight himself in the Lord. And I'm I'm careful here because sometimes in some of our circles, this, this particular command to delight yourself in the Lord can... Can, can really weigh heavily on a lot of us. Am I delighting enough in the Lord? Well, that's a good question. And the fact that you're asking that question is a healthy sign. The command is to delight yourself in the Lord. The sign of the blessed man is that he delights himself in the Lord. Delight is key. We don't just obey. We delight. The famous example that John Piper has used over the years Is the man on his anniversary who shows up to his house with a bouquet of flowers on his anniversary. And his wife opens the door and she says, Oh, John. She's like, Why did you? What kind of husband says? Because it's my duty. (laughs) No, it's my delight. I love you. I want to do this. It is my pleasure to give you flowers. It is my pleasure to read God's commands, to dwell in his beauty. John Calvin picks up on this and he says, we may learn that forced obedience is not at all acceptable to God and that those only are worthy students of the law who come to it with a cheerful mind and are so delighted with its instructions As to account nothing more desirable or delicious than to make progress therein. It's Calvin. I know he speaks French, but that's translated delicious. God's laws are delicious to us. Note that the blessed man does not just delight in his law, he meditates upon it. Instead of dwelling with sinful men, he dwells with the words of God. And this is more than just a drive-by Bible reading. This is a day-and-night, day-by-day sort of action. We meditate on God's laws. I do not want to wrongfully speak here, again, another caveat, but I do not want to wrongfully speak here about some minimum amount of Bible reading that you must do each day. I do not think that is what is in view here. I think this is a general principle. But neither do I want to minimize this truth. Meditation is called for. You will be blessed, says the psalmist, if you meditate upon his word. You're constantly bombarded with media, messaging, phones, TV, internet. Even if you are standing in the grocery store, some nasty music sometimes come on. We can't avoid it. This morning in my own house, I was trying to meditate on the law of the Lord. And my wife had turned on the TV and there was worship music playing. And as I'm reading, I hear in the background, you're now listening to my Cyrus," And suddenly she's singing something about buying herself flowers. I don't want to listen to that, at least right then. But I'm just going out of my way to say we are bombarded, even when we're meditating on the law of the Lord. How often do our notifications pop up and keep us from meditating, from contemplating the truth of the Lord? We're in a difficult day and age. And my point is that this is difficult. This is tough, I think, especially for many of the young people in here who've grown up with phones or grown up with media all around them. But Christians, sometimes we can avoid it. Sometimes we can avoid these these notifications or, or this constant bombardment. How often are Christians guilty of watching filth on television? television series in which the characters delight in things contrary to God's law and do you do you pat yourself on the back wrongfully do you allow sinful counsel to come to you through the phone or through the television you may not dwell with actual physical sinful groups of people maybe at school or at work but do you allow those sinful groups of people into your home some other way It's possible nowadays to allow ourselves to be counseled without even leaving our house. It is tough. It's a fight to meditate on God's word, to avoid the counsel and camaraderie of the sinful. And at times, especially for some of you at work or school, you're surrounded by the ungodly. It can be taxing and cause for much suffering, To be in the world, yet not of it. But that's our call, beloved. Now look at the end. The result of this delighting and meditating on God's law. The one who does so is a blessed man, and the blessed man produces much fruit. Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. What a wonderful result of delighting and meditating upon the law of the Lord. Trees are large. They're not weeds. And they bring forth fruit. This fruit itself could be to the praise of Christ. The fruit could also be the sort of thing that hangs down and that other believers or unbelievers can partake of. When you're bearing fruit, other people benefit. I think that's part of the imagery here. When you bear fruit, other people can go to your tree and pluck it off. And now they're benefiting from your blessedness. Note also, this tree is resistant to weather. It's, it's resistant to the to's and fro's of life. Its leaf does not wither, for it's by the river. It's being watered. This man, this blessed man, he's in church. He's hearing the words of God. He's by the rivers of life. His leaf does not wither. He's not concerned about the twos and fro's of life. He's not concerned about the difficulties that lay ahead. He's evergreen, if you will. This person is useful in the hands of God. Blessed people are useful. They're benefiting other people. And Christians, I know you want to please God. It's natural. It's the natural response to the gospel. God would have been perfectly just to bring his wrath upon us, but instead he sent forth his son. And his son takes the wrath we deserve and we are freed from the condemnation we deserve. And when this ball drops, when you truly grasp it, the response, the desire that that God produces in you, this desire that builds up in your heart is a desire to serve God. It's a desire to be useful for God's kingdom. This is true of all believers, all true believers. We want to serve the Lord. Is that you this evening? Do you want to serve God? What then should you do to make yourself most useful in God's hands? What makes someone useful? We are commanded, of course, to be servants one of another. What's needed? To be the best servant. Forsake the counsel of the ungodly. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Notice here, there's no mention of seminary. This is something all believers can do. We can all be useful in the hands of God by delighting in his law and meditating upon it. Again, this does not mean that all Christians will have success because this this person who's blessed is prosperous. They're producing fruit. It does not mean that we will all be successful. But it does mean, again, that the principle is true. The same idea that we're seeing in Psalm 1, it's here in Jeremiah 17. Let me read a few verses. If you want, you can turn there with me. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 5. I think this will illustrate it. All the more. Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. What's that man like? He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is a timeless principle, in other words. And the key in both of these passages, parallel passages, is delighting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. I don't want to um, overcomplicate it because that is the simple truth we're dealing with. I think if we're evangelizing, I I think a good question here for unbelievers would be to ask them, if not God's law, what else are you going to delight in? What is so great that you would choose to delight in it rather than God's law? I think that's the sort of question we can ask. And perhaps some of you are not believers tonight, but this is the sort of question I think in our evangelism we could ask. And I think it can get people really thinking surely there's nothing material that people could say. What is greater? A house? car, vacations, career, all those things will burn up shortly. Even they know that. They will die soon. What else are you going to delight in? Your own self, your own philosophy of life? No religion or philosophy comes close to what the Bible contains. For in the end, the Bible points to us that we will receive the greatest of all gifts. The Bible offers fellowship with God through Christ. What higher good is there? What higher philosophy are you going to delight in? You are free to think through this question, but do not remain so hard-hearted that you refuse this simple question. God is the greatest of all treasures. Therefore, the wise man takes pleasure in God. Notice next the result of being wicked. The wicked are like chaff. The wind drives away. Chaff is, is, is dust essentially. It's rootless. The tree, it's got roots, it's plugged in to God. But but chaff I, that's a lonely life. Chaff is, is just gonna <clears throat> float away. It has no camaraderie, has no family, has no fruit. Note also, the wicked will be destroyed by God. And then at the end of the psalm, we see that the ungodly will not stand with God on the last day. Other scriptures illustrate this same point. In Isaiah, the nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them, and they will flee far away. Chase like chaff on the mountains before the wind. Or... Matthew 3, his winnowing fork, this is Jesus, is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire. So that's the end. We didn't speak much about the wicked. The focus, again, is on the blessed. Lastly, third point. The blessed man is vindicated on the last day. The blessed man is vindicated on the last day. God knows the way of the righteous. He is in relationship with those on that way. Those on the way of destruction are not known by God. Remember Jesus saying, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. They are disconnected from the offer of life, and they will perish, for they're not with them. They will not bear fruit. They will not be a blessing. They will not feel joy on the last day. But God's people will be vindicated. For a time, they'll call you strange, but on the last day, you will be vindicated. God knows. This is the same word that we see elsewhere God knows his covenant people. This is a covenant word. Like a man knows his wife. Or, as in Exodus, God knew when his people were crying out to him. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery Came up to God and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. There's that word. God knew. It's covenantal. God knows the way of the righteous. It's not that He knows about the righteous, He knows them in a covenantal framework. He knows them relationally. He knows them because on the last day, he will vindicate them. Now, a few notes here at the end. Just three brief notes. Applications, if you will. The first is this. Um, Sometimes when life is overwhelming... Sometimes, if you need a fresh start, you can, you can see all of the options before you. It's like, what do I do first? Is it diet? Is it exercise? Is it going to church? Is it, is it getting in a group? What is it? I think the remedy is here in this song. Avoid the company of evildoers. Delight yourself in the law of God. Sometimes it is it is helpful for us to simplify it that much, even even for Christians, even for some of us who have been in the faith for a while. When life is just gone haywire, and I can't think, what do I do? How do I get back on track? Avoid evil. Delight in God. Second application: the desire to bear fruit is good and worth pursuing. In John 15, I love this this particular verse. In John 15, Jesus is speaking about abiding in the vine. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So this is that. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. But then he says this, and I think this is sometimes overlooked. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear fruit much fruit so you will be my disciples so you will prove to be my disciples in other words God is glorified when you bear much fruit so you should desire to bear fruit you should desire to bear fruit and the implication of this psalm is that you can do it by delighting and meditating upon God And then thirdly, come to Christ. Come to Christ. One man obeyed this psalm. This psalm is is in, in one way convicting, and it's the sort of psalm that you read it. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of God. Who delights all the time in the law of God or in the ways of God? Christ does. Christ alone avoided the company of evildoers, never sinning, always obeying, always delighting in the will of God. He even said that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's not simply that his delight is in it. It's his very existence. It's his reason for coming to the earth. It's to obey the Lord. He is the ideal Human, he alone obeyed this song. So if you find yourself this evening reading these words saying, I have not obeyed this psalm, what must I do? You must look then to the one who obeyed the psalm. For only in him will you be blessed fully, completely, truly. For only the blessed will be vindicated on the last day. So come to Christ, the greatest of all men. Let's now pray together. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the instructions in this psalm. And we thank you also for the obedience of the Savior. And I pray that we will not be taken astray. For the counsel of the ungodly that may come into our homes, but that we will expose the works of darkness and that we will walk in the light. And I pray for any and all who may not yet know the Savior, that they may come to him. In his name we pray.